This is episode 47 of the Rising Man podcast with Sean Berry. I hear the mountain calling. Welcome back, Rising Man fans. Another riveting episode of the Rising Man podcast. I'm your host and the creator of the show, Jedi Azuma. And here we are. We're rolling into December. The end of the year is approaching. One of my favorite holidays of the year, the winter solstice, is upon us. We're rolling into the holiday season, the new year, and there's this sense of rebirth, reawakening, rediscovery in the air. And whether you celebrate the solstice or whether you celebrate the new year as turning a new page, a new chapter, everybody's starting to be aware that a chapter is coming to an end so that a new chapter can begin. And so on that note, I want to make sure that I let everybody out there know that the second Elements Men's Initiation Weekend is upon us. We're going to be starting off the new year correct, January 18th to the 20th, with another opportunity for you men out there to step out of your conventional lives, step into the wilderness and tap into your first nature, tap into that sense of peacefulness, that sense of connectivity amongst a team, a crew, a band of brothers. If you're ready to rise as a leader, deepen your strength and take ownership of the mission that you have to complete in your life, head over to riseejediazumacom slash elements and sign up for this next initiation weekend. It's going to be huge. And I couldn't have a more perfect guest to lead from this topic, a man by the name of Sean Berry. He grew up in the Midwest with a strong Christian background, headed to LA and got into the biz, quote unquote, as a motions graphics artist. He first experienced Vision Fast about 20 years ago when he was feeling the sense of an awakening that needed to happen and wanting to connect more with nature and him, that truth within himself. And ever since that first fast he did to over 20 years ago, he served as a wilderness guide, leading men on Vision Fast, studying sustainable living practices and wilderness skills and bringing people into closer relationship with nature every step of the way. Sean recently launched his new project, First Nature, which is amazing. Everybody should go check it out. First Nature strives to inspire and catalyze each adult, youth, and child's unique creativity and imagination to connect more deeply to a life of meaning, purpose, and passion. Sean is one of my closest brothers, and I really endorse and support the work that he's doing in the world. In this episode, we spoke about the transformation of the masculine warrior archetype in modern society, where we came from historically, from our ancestors and the masculine archetype that existed then, and what's needed of the modern man, the modern masculine archetype now. We talked about how nature awakens masculine power and instincts, the role of rites of passage in building sustainable communities. We spoke a little bit about reviving storytelling and the integrity of oral tradition, how important that is, especially in modern times where media and news outlets are distorting the truth over and over and over again. And lastly, we talked about bridging the gap between the modern corporate world and the natural world. A really exciting episode. I'll leave it at that. Without further ado, Sean Berry. All right. Welcome back to the Rising Man podcast. I am here with a very dear brother of mine, Mr. Sean Berry, coming in live from Topanga Canyon, just above L.A., how you doing, brother? I'm doing real good. It's a beautiful day. Yeah, man. Yeah, beautiful day. Beautiful day to talk about nature connection work and this battle that we all seem to be in between technology and getting back to our roots of nature. So um, I'm looking forward to capturing some of your expertise and brilliance on that subject. Yeah, thanks. That's uh, really awesome to be talking about my favorite thing with one of my favorite people. So yeah, couldn't ask for a better afternoon. <laughs> awesome, man. And for those of you guys who are listening, you know, I gave a much more detailed and thorough introduction of Sean before this part of the episode started. But I will say this, that Sean and I have known each other for a little, almost six years now. And yeah, um, yeah. Sean has been a, uh, a vision fast guide for decades at this point. <laughs> He's led a lot of nature connection work and um, taken a lot of men up to the mountain to do fasting and worked with boys and men and and also women too of all ages at this point right yeah yes i have so 
very much an expert on the subject, and it's it's been a theme we've had lately, man. Uh, there's a couple of guests leading up to this episode that have spoken about rites of passage and the need for that to start coming through, especially for our young boys who are still very much boys and adolescents, and then our quote unquote men who are truly still boys or just you know adult adolescents. Yeah. So yeah. Um, so let's just let's just start there because it's already been something we talked about on the show. What do you see? What's your analysis of the state of masculine culture and why we have so many adults who are still boys? Yeah, man. Great question. It's a it's a big awareness I'm just walking around with that we all are, and I think we all feel it. And you know, for me, I I like to kind of just track things back as as far back as I can just to see like where these ideas even emanate from to begin with when they were healthy incarnations. And I know there's a big conversation out there about you know gender and what it means to be man and woman and male, female and masculine and feminine energy. But for me at the at the bottom end of things is like at a certain point in our history of humans, you go back far enough and you had to have a certain body type to get certain things done, you know? And so the person who had the best body type who could do something the most effective was the one who would do the job because that would serve the community the most and vice versa. And it's not just body types, but there's also just different staminas, different awarenesses, different interests and willingness to specialize we talk a lot about going back to hunter-gatherer tribes and how the men were out hunting and doing all these big tasks and stuff and defending the village. And, and, and that's all true. And, and so the warrior mentality of you know that body type was just more able to do those things more effectively, more efficiently overall. And we're speaking generalities here. And through the just those necessities dwindling away over eons to where that body type doesn't really have to do most of those things that it's been doing for eons. I think that it's just affecting the psychology of like, okay, so what the, then what does that body and its DNA and all that is accumulated over all the, all this you know, millennia of doing things in a certain way in, in most cultures uh, do now, mm. you know? Mm. So th- let me pause you there for a second. So if, I, if I'm unpacking what you're saying, it sounds to me like because the typical masculine warrior archetype is not as necessary, not as needed in the modern world anymore, there's a little bit of confusion as to well, what do I do now? Simply because, for example, we don't have to go out and hunt for our food or forage our food every day. There's time in our day for something else. And that's not a requirement we have of our bodies anymore. Is that what you're aiming at there? Yeah, I think the short word is embodiment. There's there's such a long, long history of embodiment about what the male body was doing over and over and over and over for generations and generations and generations that were tangible and had a purpose and were welcomed. You know, again, we're speaking generalities here. That we now we find ourselves in this day and age where there's there's like a there's like a I mean, it's funny you said expert, but I don't know if I'm an expert in anything, but just <laughs> in my thinking these things over all the time, I feel like there, there's like a psychic break between the mind of the man and the body of the man. And those two things are unresolved and unreconciled. Mm, mm, and I, I definitely can support that belief. That's a belief that I have as well, is that I actually put out a post, God, it had to be months ago now, where I had been doing a lot of work with my hands. We were chopping up wood for a ceremony and I took a picture of it, posted it on Instagram. And I, I wrote up something about, you know, how good it feels to be a man who works with my hands mm. and to have these blisters and calluses on my hands. And it caught some backlash, which was interesting. <laughs> it caught some backlash. Like, are you saying that I have to have blisters on my hands in order to be a man? And, um, and also a some other men who had said, hey, I, I've put up posts like this before and had similar types of responses. So this disconnect between the demand that we've typically had in our bodies and on our DNA and now reconciling that with modern beliefs of what it is to be a man or what it is to be masculine, there's understandably so, there's a lot of confusion around that. And there's a lot of grayness. And a lot of exploitation. Mm. You know, and I, th- I think that's where some of the backlash comes from is that that you know, showing up that way as a man these days is such a niche kind of place and, and reserved, you know, like if you look at all those strong, powerful male men out there who are using their bodies daily in, in a way that's we've considered to be very male and very masculine, they're making millions of dollars. You look at the pro sports guys, like hundreds of millions of dollars for doing one thing really, really well with their bodies. And that's a real, just a, a myopic message that's just getting, you know, mm-hmm. been handed down. And it's, and it's, it's just culminating into, into the space now where it's like you have to really look closely at, so if I'm not using my body in that way and I think of myself as a man and I have a penis and I don't have a womb and I don't make babies and all the other things that make our body types different, 
And then how do I go about assessing my value in my community and to myself with what I have physically? Because we are, we are bodies walking around. That, at the end of the day, like, you have a body and you do stuff with it. And that's how you move through the real world. So just really looking at how that can make a difference in just mm-hmm. how you think about your perspective and, and living life. Right. And this, goes in, this opens up a really interesting dialogue because then there's the element of free will. Mm. and freedom of choice Mm. and because we live in a modern society where you can choose to change genders you can choose to transition from male to female or female to male and to really take that on both within a physical appearance even on a hormonal level so it's it's created more options for people and one of the things i've noticed is and perhaps this is really the point is that we all get to choose what we most what we feel most resonant and most aligned with i've found that even some of the most what i would call effeminate men who have who are much more in tune with their emotions a little more artistic free-flowing not as rigorous or disciplined with themselves when i bring them out into nature for these weekends these overnights and they're given an opportunity to tap into some of what we would consider traditional masculine warrior instinctual focus connecting with the, with the natural elements type of energy, it, it awakens or amplifies this sense of the masculinity in them and in a way that's often refreshing, in a way that's often a relief that's like, oh, feels so good to scream at the top of my lungs and beat my chest and get dirt under my fingernails and, and burn my eyes in the smoke of a fire. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, yeah. I, I'm I mean, interested in your thoughts on that. It just makes you think of, it's just, to me, it's, it's the, it's the um, acknowledgement and acceptance, acknowledgement, uh, embracing that there's, we all have unused potential, whether you're female or male, you know, and, and one way to look at it is if you are driving like a, you know, 500 horsepower Mustang around town and, and you never take it past 35 miles an hour, like, you know, oh my God, like that just feels like unlived, like that thing was made to do one thing and it's not good or bad, right or wrong. It's just, that's what it does. And if you're not utilizing that thing to do its fullest potential, maybe take a little more, you know, like a horse or I don't know. I'm just trying to think of some idea or a sailboat, even just for more of a more, kind of more of a feminized sort of version of that. Like, you know, you look at these yacht racers who can get these sailboats going, you know, super, super fast. But if you don't have a crew that knows what they're doing or, you know, doesn't really know, have the, have the experience to know what that sailboat can do, then it's, it's underutilized. It's underutilized. Mm-hmm. And now there's all this embodied energy that, that it took to make something so specialized that is, you know, wasted, embedded mm-hmm. energy, you know? So it's like all this energy is going in to make us be good at certain things that we can do with the body that we have. And if we're not living into those on some level, then it's, it's you know, that's to me, there's, there's like a reflection back out to Whatever, whatever you want to call it, the universe, God, spirit that says you wasted your time. <laughs> like this, mm, you, mm-hmm. uh, you're, you're messing up the model because we're not going to use what you've made us to do. And, uh, and again, mm. I'm speaking extremely obtuse in a generalized, you know, kind of ideology. But I would say the two key words that are coming to me right now is just the, the embodiment we're talking about and then also balance because mm. we all have feminine and masculine qualities. And to me, the ideal adult has balance for themselves, whether that's 70-30 for one person and 50-50 for another. It's where is that for you? And are you taking the time and the valuing what it takes to, to be that person who's fully available with your full potential? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's almost the word, I think you've used it, is uh, a usefulness or a utility. Yeah. A full, full utility of ourselves, of our body, of our capacity and capability with this physical body suit that we have, with this brain that we have and all this tools and skills we have. I, I love this dialogue, this conversation, because the, the, the irony is that there is no right or wrong. And oftentimes, because so much is available to us, we as a society, we swing the pendulum so far in one direction or the other. And that's, in my opinion, the way that we find a, strike, a way to strike balance. For example, when you look at these CrossFit communities and the MoveNet communities, they're, they're employing and advertising a return to being like a caveman, like that sense of like literally being like a rugged, I use my body to get shit done every day type of man. It's very masculine in my opinion. Um, And of course, women step into that space. So it's not gender specific. It's, you know, masculine, feminine. But we see that there's, you know, there's not a need for anybody in the world to have to do what a caveman does anymore. In fact, if you go back and talk to a caveman, if we could do certain things with technology to make their lives easier, I'm sure they would choose that. Well, they did. You know? they, they did. <laughs> That's how we got to where we are, you know? Like, exactly. Yeah. 
Once they exactly. Realize, so once, they, once they realized they could make fire by spinning sticks, they stopped trekking around waiting for lightning to strike. You know, it's like they didn't do that anymore. It's, so that's that's just inherent in who we are as humans, I think. But you know, you were talking about gender reassignment a little earlier, and I had a thought came into my head. And, and, and speaking to now, what you're saying with these different communities and what they're kind of putting forward is the value. And I, I think that's the other piece of this picture is, especially with the rites of passage work and looking at, at older cultures, there was a very clearly defined community who held a very clearly dis- defined system of what was important and what was valuable to contribute. You know, mm-hmm. and, and those were very much based on if we don't have youth coming up who, who can take on those values and be responsible and, and be passionate about doing those things, the village will fail, the people will die and will get wiped off the face of the earth which has happened. Mm. You know, there are bloodlines that no longer exist. Everyone who's mm. walking around here has, a, has ancestry that did something, that stood up, took on the responsibilities, figured it out, was inventive, was curious, was responsible, was balanced, mm. you know? And, and the ones who weren't, because we all ran into misfortune, right? No one just skated yeah. up here from a million years ago. Every, every culture has gone through some major, major trauma at some point, whether it was war or famine or drought or flood or disease. And the ones who made it through were the ones that somehow, you know, did what it took. And the ones who didn't, they're not here. They're not here. The thought that came to my mind as you were sharing what you just shared is that we've evolved into a society where there's so much freedom of choice. Mm. There's so much freedom to choose, to be however you want to be, to do whatever we want to do, more or less. And so do you think that that has affected our ability to be unified as a people? Our, our efficacy as a people in contrast to some of these more ancient villages that had very clearly defined roles and a purpose, you know, to stay alive. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think it totally has. I mean, just social media to me is the most profound. I mean, it's funny because we say social media is what brings, is bringing communities together and bringing people together and keeping us all connected, which on one level is true, but on a deeper level, it's completely diversified everybody, you know, it's like now, Mm. yeah, it's good to dive into because it's not going back to, it's not right or wrong, good or bad. It's just what is the choice we make about what's available to us. And that's what we've been doing for all this time. And, you know, the, the, if there was a downside in my mind to living in a, a older traditional ancient community, it would be that there was no options really. Like you could go it alone if you wanted to, cause you're like, fuck this place, but <laughs> good luck mm-hmm. getting very far, you know, mm-hmm. compared to now where it's like, I was just talking to somebody the other day about empowering youth and, and that's the, the, you know, the adolescent teen, actually adolescent too, by the way, is a newer word. That's not really been in the, in the developmental language for very long, but this whole rebel without a cause that's really popular, you know, popularized in the sixties in the Western culture, you know, that, that evoking of this rebellion and this, this exercising of, of freedom and making choice and will and defiance, that's like a very natural, that's kind of, it's like lighting the fire, you know, it's what it takes to get a fire going. It takes all this friction and action and uh, activity. And that was how a community would start to see like, what are, you know, it's really just passion, mm. passion and, and mm. curiosity. Like, who am I? What am I good at? What do I have to offer? What will I be seen for? And I think now, so to go back to the social media and kind of weaving that into the whole idea is you can get on any social media platform and with enough tenacity, you can be seen for whatever you want to be seen as. But at the end of the day, that person is still going to bed by themselves and you know they're not as connected to, they're probably more disconnected from their immediate, well, I'm just making assessments there. But uh, I guess the point is, I'll just talk from my own experience. I find the social media to be a bit of a placebo, mm. you know, emotional placebo. Placebo for what? From true community, from knowing, my, mm. from, from not having to really take risks. I mean, I, you can take risks online, but the real risk is to go knock on your neighbor's door and say, hey man, do you want to have dinner and get to know each other? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's yeah, how, how uncomfortable does that make most people now? Yeah. Right. Like asking somebody to have a coffee and yeah. to talk about our real experience of life. I mean, that's, that's a lot of the nature behind the, the work that I feel so called and compelled to do is to invite men into deeper conversations of vulnerability in safe places so that we can actually realize that we're not alone, that we're not that unique. Yeah. Instead of like going at it alone and putting up this false image that we want people to see that, that, that persona we want people to get to know. Yeah. And, and getting to know, to ignore all the commentary, 
mm-hmm. which is the other part of it is that, you know, when you're in a, when you're in a, a, a real community, that's you're, you're surrounded by, by, by people who are invested in you, that you are invested in, that are walking with some kind of common vision about what a good life is, their feedback on your actions is, is real and visceral and will affect and influence how you behave. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And on the social media, like that's not true. You can react <laughs> or you can ignore, um, but it doesn't really have to affect you other than maybe putting you in a mood until it blows over. You know, there's, there's really no, um, it's, we kind of, it's, it's kind of robbed the, the value of, of how we influence each other as beings and, and being next to each other. Sure. Yeah. And, and one of the most important skills I think has been lost in socialization is conflict resolution. Mm. And yeah. in, in being able to, and, and not just conflict resolution, like mediation in school or something, but being able to resolve our own conflicts, you yeah. know, man to man, woman to woman, boy to boy, girl to girl, boy to girl, et cetera. Yeah. You know, to, to be able to stand in, in our truths, to have a conflicting version of what is so and to resolve it, whatever that looks like. Maybe it's not necessarily that we're friends afterwards and everything's rainbows and butterflies, but being able to simply be in conflict, I know for me personally, is one of the skills that I've had to learn how to polish because <laughs> there's something about my generation. You know, I know that you're a, a couple decades ahead of me. So my generation, really, I see this theme of pleasing and appeasing and wanting to make everyone around us happy at the expense of our truth. Mm, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I mean, have you experienced that in, in your generation or do you, what are your thoughts on that as a, as a problem in society? Yeah. Well, there's, I mean, there's definitely generational differences and there's also regional differences. You know, I would, I would mm. say what you just described was, is not too far away from my mindset growing up just because of where I lived. You know, I lived in, mm. in the uh, Midwest in a small town and kind of a church growing communities and, you know, same kind of idea, just kind of wholesome, you know, don't rock the boat too much. If you do, you get labeled as, you know, misfit or a rebel. And, and again, that's just another what's happening. So to kind of wrap up what I was saying about this conversation I was having with, with this other person is that fire that comes up in a youth when they really just want to get out and figure out for themselves, if that isn't called up and out by, you know, the elders or the adults that are in their immediate community, it turns into rebellion, which is the whole rebel without a cause thing, which, which becomes kind of cool and hip and like you're out there kind of being defiant. But, you know, if you look at that same person five or 10 year, years down the road, if they never got called back into the community and held accountable, they usually end up washing out or never getting mm. much further, you know, maybe. But in general, that they just didn't get certain skills or certain containment to, to build the skills they needed to really go forward into full adulthood. And now with the social media, it's, it's like the, you know, sort of the, um, the melancholic aspect of what it has been with Rebel Without a Cause is that there is this lonesomeness, you know, that was hidden in the rebel figure because no one was coming after them, right? Mm. And they're waiting, waiting. Deep, deep down inside, they're waiting. Now, mm. with the social media and all the access and the power that, that everyone has at their fingertips to, to create and design and to live, like, I think the messaging to the generation that's just under, you know, you is that they don't even have to, even that longing to wait is getting diminished because they can just do it. They can just do it. They don't mm-hmm. have to wait for it to be bestowed upon them. It's, mm-hmm. it's easily available to them. All the way from the kids who are making millions of dollars at 15 or 16 that are writing really amazing apps mm-hmm. to, the, to the, the, there was a 17 year old a few years ago who designed and engineered some amazing thing to go out and catch all the uh, microplastic in the oceans. Mm-hmm. It's, they're not waiting. They're not waiting. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's, mm-hmm. that's one just, you know, wow, celebrate. So let's just celebrate that energy of, of the, the young adult who's living into their potential. But also so scary to me because no one's, you know, there's the dark side of that too. Mm-hmm. With some of these younger yeah. adults, you know, doing things that aren't so great with all this power at their fingertips. Yeah. And I think one of the greatest costs to that is reinforcing the message that I don't need anybody else. Right. You know, re- reinforcing that belief that I can do this all by myself. I don't need anybody. I don't need anybody to tell me what to do. Look, I just made millions of dollars with an idea I had. And because I'm really clever with technology and I figured out how to bend it and, and make it work for my vision and what I had in mind. Yeah. And, you know, for knowing who you are and the, the shared beliefs we both have, we know how essential it is to get back to a really important roots of community, really yeah. important roots of connectivity, of living not only for ourselves, but for each other. 
and living in service to each other and thus being taken care of ourselves. So say a little bit more about that, because I think that's a really interesting topic is how the sense of community may be lost to some of these uh, young folks that are able to do everything at their fingertips. Yeah, well, you know, go to any party of young people and half, half of them or more will be hanging around the party on their devices, you know. Mm. But interactively, they'll be shooting photos or there'll be some joke going. It's like these different dimensions of re- relating now, you know, are all available. So instead of having to actually pass a joke around from person to person at a party, you just get like a text thread going in the party that everybody's in on. And there's like these multiple levels of conversations and, and things going on at, at different levels of consciousness. And which is kind of cool in a way like, oh, it's like really enriches sort of the, just a social engagement. But I don't know, man. I Maybe I'm just an old fogey now that I'm, you know, busted the half century <laughs> mark. But uh, I just keep thinking like, te- you know, tech, the technology we have is maybe it's going to be around for a minute. It's going to get so solid and foolproof that it's never going to go away. But I keep thinking, you know, civilization's pass things calamities happen you know things go away that we're working you know there's a lot of skills that require there's a lot of interaction that requires skills on the person-to-person level that we're really starting to lose practice in because of we're relying on the technology to to do it for us to Mm -hmm. to vicariously imply things that we would normally have to really sit down and grapple with you know individual to individual and just the stories, like, you know, it's funny that the whole fake news is such a big thing this year because, you know, that's really uh, how information got passed down. If you go back far enough before they were having books printed, it was all oral mm-hmm. tradition. Like everything was encapsulated and embedded in the stories and, and they were like high quality, you know, being passed down because if they got messed up on the way down, they would have, you know, sends it off on the, you know, the village or the, that culture off on a tangent mm-hmm. that may go a while before it got corrected, you know? And so mm-hmm. I think that's the power of community too is, and, and to me, it reminds me a little bit of, of the Bitcoin thing. You know, the beauty of Bitcoin is like every trans, because of the number of computers tracking every transaction, it's like the, uh, the fidelity of each transaction is really, really secure. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's yeah. the same as like the story in the village. Like all the, all the adults are telling the same story. And so it ensures a fidelity of the values and the responsibilities in that community. Hmm. That's really uh, fascinating, man. I, I hadn't really thought about it that way, but I've always felt such a strong affinity for the value and the virtue of integrity and truth. I think that Integrity in general, to me, is also a very masculine thing. I think of like Bushido and the Samurai Code Mm. and how highly that is held. And it just got me to thinking that maybe generations in the future, if this society does collapse and fall apart the way that a lot of people think it might, then that we may look back and say that the failure of this iteration of civilization was when we decided to make integrity a choice Uh. more than a lifeline. Right, because right. with that oral tradition, if there's no integrity in the oral tradition, if all of a sudden, centuries later, we have fake news and the privilege, the freedom of speech, quote unquote, to say how we see something in, a, in our opinion or, to, or even just to make shit up, to sway people one direction or the other. I mean, that's the real dangerous thing there. And, you know, there's, there's politicians that are calling it out on both sides. Yeah. You know, it's really yeah. interesting how leaders are identifying that as a problem. Yeah, and it's really just coming to a head now. You know, obviously, it's that kind of stuff's been going on for a long time in our, our modern culture, sure. and and to some degree, I'm sure it was a strategy. You know, mm-hmm. even way back when, when was somebody was really wanting something to change, and they would tell a story differently because they want the story to be different. And so, it's not like anything new, particularly. But I think that the the power that it has to make. Well, let me say it this way: I now, whenever I get on to read news, I just don't. I don't really. I'm like, well, maybe, you know, like I don't mm-hmm. even really, I've lost that ability to read something and allow it to be truthful first before I question it. Now it's like, I question, mm-hmm. I don't even, like, I don't even really question it even. But not only mm-hmm. do I think, well, maybe it's true, maybe it's not, but then I, I'm not really that even interested or curious anymore to, to research it in because there's so, so much information coming at you and so many voices saying it's true, it's not true. You know, news has gone from being something about reporting the facts to uh, read me because of the way I spin it, you know, or talk to the, you know, what's going on. And I just think that's, a, that's also just really damaging to, you know, the, the image that's coming to my mind is sort of like an hourglass shape, right? So if you think about the bottom of the hourglass being how culture and, and community 
sort of started to come into how we as humans were moving forward and technology building us up, building us up. But then we kind of get to this little thin part where we are right now, where the technology has really come in so fast and so hard and it's replacing so many of the, uh, we're, we're allowing it to hold a lot of the practices and values and understandings that we worked for millennia to develop as humans. And, mm-hmm. and it's going to go from the, and then it's going to get very top heavy very soon because we're just, apparently we're just going to rely on it more and more to hold bigger mm-hmm. and bigger pieces. And um, my concern is what happens if that little thin part, you know, topples because it's not, it's, it can't support all that we put on it. Sure. Sure. Yeah. And it makes me wonder, you know, what is the, what is the way that we get back to this level of integrity where, where you can really trust that what someone is saying is true? I know that uh, some of the elders that I've spoken with who are more connected to traditional ways of village and community, they, they say that the only way back to that is to start small again mm. and to create these circles, not even a circle, but to start with a triangle of trust <laughs> and, then a, and then a square of trust and then building into a bigger and bigger circle of trust where that uh, value of radical honesty, which is one of the principles of the Burning Man community is radically being honest, Mm. so truthful, so honest, so unapologetically true about what we see and and what is so that there is no question. There's no questioning what happened or is, are they, am I lying? Am I being truthful? Am I being deceitful or not? It just seems like, man, we're just so far away from that. Yeah. When you, when you look at the 30,000 foot perspective, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, the story that comes to my, my mind really quickly is, the Tower of Babel. Mm. And, you know, in that story, they were, it was basically a story of technology and aspiring to more and more and more power to reach some kind of ultimate truth. And the ultimate truth knocked it down and scattered mm. and scattered them. So what is, you know, I, I listen to those kind of stories and there's other ones, you know, from different cultures that reflect that idea about, you know, there's a um, God that flies too close to the sun. Icarus. Icarus, you know, it's like, there's, there's it's all over. That story's like all over, you know? Mm-hmm. So I just think about like, okay, is, is this <laughs> our part of that story getting played out right now? We're we living in that time. And, mm-hmm. um, and for me, you know, going back to the beginning or going back to, I forget how you said that uh, elder said it, but going back to the start, like we can do that now without really, to me, that's just coming back full circle to nature, mm-hmm. you know, just go out in nature and it's like the ultimate mirror of truth to me. That's what it's been for me. Mm-hmm. And to just watch how the, every other species on the planet operates in, in integrity, mm-hmm. ex- except us. That's true. You know, yeah, I, I would, I would, I would agree with that. And that's one of the things I'd love for you to start to use this as a segue into a little bit of your story, because to me, you have a very archetypal story of a man who was torn between the modern digital world with your you know, previous occupation as a graphic designer working in that field and the sacred natural world, which is where your heart has been pulling you to. Kind of this also archetypal masculine, feminine, I don't know, juxtaposition or whatever you want to call it. So just to talk a little bit about that, of that grapple that mm. we have and maybe sharing some of your own story with that and how you found your way. Yeah, well, definitely having grown up in a pretty traditional valued households, you know, where my dad, we had a large family. My dad worked in a factory. He did tons of overtime. He loved us. I felt he was available, but he just wasn't always around a lot. And the, the messages I got just from observing was the man supports the family. Uh, the man has a stable job. The man's provi- the provisionary, you know, mm-hmm. which is not that far from what it has been for a long, long, long time. You know, if you're under like just because you had a stronger, more efficient body with strength, you could hunt down the elk or whatever longer and faster than someone who didn't, you know? Mm -hmm. So when I jumped into the world professionally, I mean, I loved doing the motion graphics and computer work and I was sitting behind the computer all day, every day. And, and, and the large part, I loved it. And I still do because it's a wonderful tool, wonderful creative tool. But ultimately it was, you know, I got to a point where I just really started to look at like, where, where was this, ultimately taking me, you know, what was mm-hmm. the ultimate, you know, what was the kill I was going to bring home mm-hmm. so that I could be celebrated and then resume my position in the village as, you know, a responsible adult. And, uh, I just, <laughs> just kind of come up blank. Like, I don't know. I'm, I guess at some point I'll have enough money and I'll get a house and I'll get a nice car and then I'll attract a woman. And, you know, just kind of that very young thinking, even though I was you know, well into my thirties, still kind of subconsciously walking around with that story. 
and mm-hmm. thinking that my happiness and my joy and my fulfillment was going to come through getting to a certain place with what I could provide for myself and, and thereby perhaps provide for someone else. And, and along that parallel path was getting into rites of passage work when I did my first vision quest when I was 30 and began to just sort of live this, yeah, like a portal life where I would be in the world here doing all this kind of modernity technology consumeristic advertising, ultra creative, you know, hip modern lifestyle. And then I kind of jumped the fence for weeks at a time here and there over the years to, you know, go sit on the mountain and help other men do that and just like be there with a journal and a gallon of water, which is good. I mean, I'm, I'm glad it happened the way it did because in one of my mentors and you know, him, of course, Kent, you know, he said from the get go, he goes, Oh, you're a bridge person. And I hated that. Mm. I was like, I don't want to be a bridge person. I want to be like on the other side fully, (laughs) you know, like that's how I want to be seen as someone who made, who had the courage to make the jump and can say like, look at me, I got out of it and I'm living the full connected life, whatever, you know, that was sort of an ego piece that was around a lot for me. And, um, but now in in retrospect, um, it's, I just had to embrace, you know, and this is again, going back to our earlier part of the conversation about the power of having someone who knows you, who's been watching you grow, who can identify what your strengths are and even make some assessments or even assertions about what's true for you. Now I'm, I'm, I'm it's true. I am a bridge person and I'm so grateful that I am because mm-hmm. if I was fully living the way that I dreamed that I would live, there'd be a huge part of me going on, on my, a large part of my potential going unfulfilled, kind of going back to the muscle car thing, you know, like, okay, maybe once I use and abuse my car enough, just racing it around and it's kind of more of a jalopy, then I'll, you know, go move out into the country and live quietly. But right now I just, I, I realize I have a lot of bandwidth to be connecting with people who are fully, you know, my opinion, imbalanced with living a life of integrity and harmony with the fact that we're living on a planet and wanting to bring in all this other stuff that people are feeling very disconnected from with nature and all the kind of practices and to some degree jargon that goes with that world and this perception of hippy dippy or woo woo and, and just find that really common, natural, exciting and enticing connection for them. Mm. Yeah, man. Uh, I appreciate you sharing that part of your story. And I'll, I'll definitely throw this in there as something that I can relate to. And, and something I saw in your story is there's it's, it's actually like part of the hero's journey is at some point to resist the purpose, to resist mm. the calling <laughs> and to say, God damn, it's so hard to be a bridge person yeah. or like, I don't, I don't know if I want to step into this role because it's it's hard. It takes effort. It's uncomfortable. I want to be on the other side of the bridge already, et cetera, et cetera, that I know myself and I'm sure a lot of other men or whoever's listening can relate to. And the ability to rise beyond that and to recognize that if this is your calling, then why not answer the call and and to to quit resisting it. But I see it I also see the parallel in modern culture too. Mm. You know, like a like the modern day gladiators in my opinion are like the athletes of the world. And at some point, they, they you hear about these stories about, ah, I just, I, st- I stopped loving the game. Mm. And I have, I have such a hard time with that. When I hear that, it's like, oh, it's crushing. It's like this, this icon lost the love for the game, for the thing that, you know, in, in many respects, a lot of people would say you were put here to do. But, you know, that opens up a whole other dialogue of, well, what are we really here to do? Is there really only one purpose we have, et cetera, et cetera. Well, yeah. So. And, and to me, that's also just speaking to the imbalance. You know, imagine the story of Hercules, instead of him coming home, just stays out there, you know, like, he has, <laughs> yeah. like he's a career hero, right? Mm. That's to me, like he would burn out. And, and, and to me, that's like the, anyone who's gotten so far into the into specialization in their career choice, particularly with physical pursuits, because your body can't do it forever. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's hard. And again, I'm just speaking from my personal values, but I don't really need to see anyone breaking any more records in the sub hundredth of a second round. Like, mm-hmm. who, you know, to me, I'm like, I don't care. I want to, I, mm-hmm. I celebrate people who can do amazing fucking things. And I celebrate that the dedication and, you know, but man, the, 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 the percentage of people who pursue their skills and their talents that that fully and that deeply for that long mm-hmm. you know just look at the football you know football players are the easiest one to look at just because of the concussion issue mm-hmm. you know and but to a less and it's, so that's just a really you know big one that's very 
visible, but internally, psychologically, emotionally, I'm sure anyone who's been on that journey of just pushing, 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 and that's all they've known since they were 12, mm-hmm. you know, losing the love of the game, like, man, so that's like, okay, so now you got to regress back to your 12 year old self and say like, what did I do when I wasn't on the trampoline? <laughs> you know, and just, right. I mean, that's, right. A, that's a hard journey to sort of unlearn you know, and go back and to mm. reconnect that developmental self to, to becoming a fully, a full, you know, a balanced adult. Right. And right. Yeah. So, you know, what, what would it look like? And this is like the crazy, you know, like never, probably never, not gonna happen in my lifetime, but imagine if, you know, there was, I don't know, I don't want to say restrictions. That's not the right word, but values in place, you know, and I think other countries have this more. America's sort of the anomaly and just you know, bigger, better, where it's just like, well, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to play. We're not going to add five more games to the season. Why would we do that? That's time away from my family. That's time for me relaxing and enjoying all the things in my life I love. Um, I'm, I'm not going to take some unproven supplement <laughs> to get that extra. Why would I do that to my body? This thing's going to, you know, hopefully last me 80 to 100 years. You know, I don't want to why would I complicate it? But that those values are so not supported. Yeah. Too- well, you know what's interesting. You know what's interesting though is that definitely across the spectrum, especially from the consumers who allow sports to be a multi-trillion-dollar industry, you know, of course that there's there's still a high value put on breaking these records and higher and higher peaks of elite performance. Yet, because I still have this. This, this urge to track sports in the athletic world, there's actually a lot of examples of athletes that are beginning to choose themselves. There's more and more stories every year of athletes retiring either in their prime or even before they hit their prime because maybe they had one too many concussions already. They're starting to see what the accumulated effect is of wear and tear on the body and they're saying it's not worth it anymore. We're seeing athletes retire to pursue other creative endeavors, other careers that they've always wanted to do. They're leveraging their time in the spotlight at the peak of their game to accumulate capital, accumulate resources, connections, whatever it is into something different. So I would say that we're actually living in a time where we're starting to see that there's actually a, there's a football player right now who has, he's, he had the ability to be one of the highest player, uh, highest paid players at his position this year in the league. He's been sitting out the whole season because he believes he deserves more so he could preserve his body. He's been very vocal about that. So it's, it's interesting. It's kind of happening as we speak. Yeah, you know, it is true. When you when you bring that up, I, I have noticed that too. And ha- hallelujah. Yeah. You know, because it's about time. Yeah, it's about time, and I I really support that. And you know, I love a good competitive game where, where there's people doing amazing things or exhibiting mm-hmm. an incredible talent, just as much as the next person. But yeah, I just don't think, uh, oh, oh, you know, in the bigger scheme of like, what is it doing to our communities and to, and what is it presenting to our youth as as viable choices? I don't think it's healthy, you know, so the greater good, the greater, I just always come back to what's the greater good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So agreed. And I also come back to the question for the sake of what, why, for the, why keep playing another five, 10, 20 years for the sake of what, Yeah. what am I getting out of this? What is, and at the cost of, you know, what's the cost? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Questions that we all, I think will really radically shift our society and our cultural values, what, what we put value on if we start to ask these questions and really look long-term. Yeah. And so just kind of weaving that into the whole, you know, what's, what's the value of community? You know, it's, it's, I can imagine, you know, in any time point in time in some culture, there were, you know, youth are always pushing themselves to see what they could do and take risks and find out their, you know, envelope of performance in their own way. But to the olders in those cultures, it was they would obviously be managing that because if these kids got too rambunctious and started hurting themselves and crippling themselves, that was going to like be big trouble down the line for them, you know. So there That's was this it, yeah. this natural sort of value that would arise, and I don't, you know, again, I'm just completely imagining this, and I'm sure they would handle it with positive feedback as opposed to trying to diminish what they were seeing. How do you guide mm-hmm. that and contain it and balance it with you know good risk taking and good choice making and, and and again just coming back to balance like it's very it's a very masculine idea to to be punishing your body to pushing your, to push mm-hmm. your body push your body push your body like just, mm-hmm. you know destructiveness and not in a negative tone but just how can I deconstruct what's been constructed you know. That's a very masculine kind of idea. Wanting to know like the, the truth of systems of things and find the kernels. But the balance of that is, you know, how do we keep things constructed? And, you know, the, the feminine seeks construction because without it, you know, actually a friend of mine described it that to him, masculine energy is like the container, like the vessel. 
It's rigid, provides structure. It has a space. The feminine is like whatever is in the vessel. It's the fluid or the liquid. And if it doesn't have mm. containment, it disperses and thins out and becomes useless. It has no, it has no uh, potential energy. Like when you, mm. when you pour something out of a vessel, it's not the vessel that's giving, it's not the vessel that's going into whatever you're pouring it into. It's the mm. liquid there. It's the feminine that moves in, that brings the power by tipping that vessel. It puts the power into the feminine, into the liquid, and the liquid moves and it fills whatever it's getting poured into, right? Mm. So, con- mm-hmm. so construction, you know, keeping things together, keeping things healthy and viable is a, is a very feminine kind of priority in my opinion. Whereas the mm. male is always wanting to, you know, that's what the male, masculine, well, sorry, masculine energy is more about, well, we are, that is what we are. So we're seeking the opposite. We want to break down and get lost and, you know, not be a part of. Mm. So I think uh, the individual, you know, like I want to go do my own thing. That's a very masculine idea. Sure. So. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, very, I I really like how you bring that, uh, that image in. There's a lot of, for me to, I'm kind of noodling (laughs) on that right now. I'm like, wow, that's really fascinating. It, it calls to memory, you know, Bruce Lee is one of my favorite people ever. Mm. And one of his favorite things was to say, to be like water. Mm. He has this whole, um, whole monologue about water and, and the container for water. And so there's a lot of, a lot of that in what you said. There, yeah. Very, yeah. very cool. Um, all right, cool, man. Well, listen, it's, it's been a riveting conversation for me. I know you and I can go like on, on like this for hours <laughs> I know, I'm, and I'm we like, will when we're on the mountain with guys. <laughs> good, good. Yeah. Looking forward to it. I know. I'm, I'm like, wow, we're at time already. I feel like we just got, just got ramped up. <laughs> That's how these things go, man. Yeah. That's how these things go. Um, so before we go, I'm asking you a couple of quick lightning questions, just right. you know, right off the cuff. First one is, what is one thing you've learned in your life that you wish you knew when you were 18? That being told to be myself was was more than uh, was actually a real thing, and that there was someone to teach me how to actually do that. <laughs> <laughs> that, that. That there was, or there wasn't someone. That there was. You know, like uh, okay. be who you are. It's, it's always just kind of remain this intellectual sort of, you know, well, yeah, yeah, I'll just be myself. What does that mean? But like, was there, you know, what if there was actually a class on how to teach you how to be yourself? <laughs> like, that's would have been great. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think I think the ultimate teacher for that is is nature. Yeah, right. For sure, for <laughs> is sure. the mountains. <laughs> That'll be episode two for <laughs> us. <now>. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Second question: What do you think is the most important value to have as a man? <sighs> I'm going to have to go with integrity when we talked about it, but I think for me, that's it. And it kind of reflects back on if something isn't made well, it's not going to hold up under the stress and tension of whatever's put inside it to hold. So the integrity, the integrity of a, of a structure to me is like, has to be, has to be trusted to hold what it's going to hold. Awesome, man. I love that. That's why we're such good friends. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome, man. And then before we let you go, for you guys who are listening, Sean is going to be helping facilitate the next Elements weekend retreat. So really stoked about that. He's also going to be helping me with the first Compass event that we're going to have in 2019. So you guys who want to get involved with what we're doing there, you can definitely go check things out um, over at rise.jettyazuma.com slash elements. But in the meantime, you guys got to follow up on what Sean is up to. He's got an amazing body of work, really. It's a body of work that you've put together. And I'll let you tell us about it and tell us about where we can find you, track you, follow you, and get involved with what you're doing. So this year, I took just like the ultimate leap of faith to totally be myself and to totally do what I'm most passionate about. And I let go of all the other things I was kind of clinging on to as far as bringing income and security and all that. And I just said, okay, what's it really about? And uh, so I started a business called First Nature. If you want to check out the website, it's ourfirstnature.com, O-U-R. Instagram is Our First Nature. Facebook is First Nature. And essentially, I'm just committed and passionate about creating uh, opportunities and experiences and programs for uh, youth and adults and communities to uh, come back into contact with nature and to find alignment and harmony and to revisit these ancient truths we know about ourselves and how we live on this planet. Mm -hmm. Awesome, man. And it's been great to see that vision, that medicine you have in your heart evolve to this moment where it's really available and out there and, and and you're on your edge too, man. That's another thing I love about it is you're, you're doubling down, you're burning your boats, you're going all in on your vision. And oh, yeah. to me, there's nothing more inspiring and masculine than that. So yeah, a, lot one, of, a lot of love and support. One quick thing know. I've been telling people when they ask about like, wow, how are you doing that? And there's, I think it was Blackbeard, the pirate who, whenever they would come up upon a boat, they were going to take over. 
But as soon as they got close enough to get their grappling hooks to pull themselves over, he would set their boat on fire. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so failure is not an option, you know, and, and um, I know it's kind of a, a, a negative colloquialism that we have out there, but I do feel like in some levels I needed to get both, you know, not jumping over the, I'm not going to the other side of the bridge and jumping the fence, but I have put both feet in the pool. <laughs> mm. There you go, man. And that's what it takes. It, it takes that level of commitment and going all in. That's something I can relate to and, you know, is very much up for me in my life right now. So yeah, for all, for all you guys out there who are still kind of half in, half out, there's no time like the present right now to take a leap, to, to set your boat on fire in exchange for what you've always wanted. And it's easier said than done. So, <laughs> yeah, which, which, as it should be. <laughs> <laughs> as it should be, as it should be, man. Like all things. Awesome, brother. Well, always, always a privilege and an honor to have a deep uh, conversation with you. And grateful that we caught it on uh, recording this time for the benefit of all the other people out there who need to be having this kind of conversation. So, thank you for being here, man. Yeah, thank you, Jetty. It's a pleasure. And uh, yeah, looking forward to a lot more of these. And um, we'll have lots of time together soon. So, <laughs> that's right man maybe, maybe maybe we'll record another episode while we're up on the mountain or something like yeah, that yeah love it love it <laughs> awesome brother alright man next time okay see you guys alright as I mentioned in the top of the episode Sean is one of my closest brothers dearest friends and he and I have been close ever since he led me on my vision fast going on five years ago now almost five years and my biggest takeaways from this episode were reflecting back to what was what used to be needed of men in a village, in a society, in a community. The, the warrior, the man who could chase down the antelope, who had literally the physical skills, traits, and characteristics that would feed and support a village. And looking into modern times where that's not as needed, that's not as necessary of our men. We can go to the grocery store and get the food that we need. So what is next? For men what is next for us as men what do we want to choose we have the luxury of choice we can be and an, an impact however we want to in this life and i think that's confusing for a lot of men out there maybe you maybe you're listening to this and you're a little bit uncertain of what your role is as a man or who even the man you want to be is maybe you've never met that man maybe you've never really tapped in to that masculine power that you have. And if you want to experience it, I really invite you guys to join us for this next Elements Initiation Weekend. All the information is at rise.jettyazuma.com slash elements. Make sure you check out the show notes for links and resources to Sean's work, to First Nature, and everything else relevant to this episode and other episodes at therisingmanpodcast.com. Please subscribe, leaving a review or comment with your biggest insights, takeaways, reflections from every episode, uh, and, and post those over at therisingmanpodcast.com. Hit us up on Instagram at Rising Man Podcast. We love to interact and engage with you guys. A lot of great content being pumped through there by my man Rowan, who is crushing the social media game for us. Appreciate you, brother. Big shout out to the rest of the Rising Man Power team, Julian, Mark, Sean Offenbach over at Infinite Melodics at Infinite M-E-L-O-D-I-X on Instagram. I appreciate everything you guys are doing, especially since I've been traveling in Australia. We're just about to board a flight in less than 24 hours so that we can head back to the States and uh, really grateful for the way that you guys have bent and flexed to support me in my time traveling. And for the rest of you out there who have been listening, clearly The Rising Man is making an impact in lives all across the planet. It was amazing to me to be out here in Australia and to meet many men who have been listening to the podcast who I haven't even interacted with yet who are telling me how much of an impact it's having on them. So let's keep up the work. All of you men out there doing your thing, figuring out who is the man that you want to be in your life for your mission, for your purpose. Until next time, rise up and claim your destiny.